Holy Gospel according to the St. Luke, the 17th chapter. On the way to Jerusalem, Jesus was going through the region between Samaria and Galilee. As he entered a village, ten lepers approached him. Keeping their distance, they called out, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were made clean. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he prostrated himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. And Jesus asked, Were not ten made clean? But the other nine, where are they? Was none of them found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Get up and go on your way. Your faith has made you well. The Gospel of the Lord. You may be seated, and the children may come forward for a children's sermon. Anybody know what I have? A hat. A hat. It's a yellow hat. Do you know what I have in the hat? Papers. Slips of paper with questions on them. Remember how I said that you could bring any question you wanted, and you could write them on slips of paper, and we would answer it. Well, a few of you wrote questions, and a few of you uh, didn't, and that's okay. But for the next couple of weeks, we're going to do this, okay? So if you go home this next week and write down a question and want to bring it in, you can do that. And if you see me before church service, I can give you a little slip of paper if you forgot, and you can write your question on that, okay? But we have a few questions in here. Now, I knew we wouldn't have a ton, so I did write down some really hard questions that I think you might ask. And they're not easy, so it's not just for me. But I want someone to pick out a question I saw your hand first. And you can say if the question's good or not. Oh, it's our bonus. So, also in there is where you can walk around and point to any person in this congregation and have a grown-up ask a question. Do you want to do that? All right. Go point to any grown-up. I know. And everybody gets scared, right? And everybody tries. Who are you pointing to? Mr. Kane? Mr. Kane, do you have a question? Any question? I don't care if I know the answer either. Why do we have a cross in the front of the sanctuary? Because do we all see what we're pointing at? Yeah, the golden cross. Big old gold cross. It looks like it's three tables up. Anybody got any ideas? Um, what did your brother 
Oh, why did I bring a hat? Is so we could put the questions in. But any ideas on why we have a cross up front? Yes. So we can remember Jesus. That is the excellent basic foundation of it. So we can remember Jesus. Now, why not just have a painting of Jesus? Yes. Because you don't know what Jesus looks like. You don't know what Jesus looks like, right? There's no cameras. So we don't have a good understanding of what Jesus looks like. But a lot of people have tried, right? So we have a lot of paintings and pictures of Jesus. But why a cross? Yeah. Because whenever he died and because he made this world. Yes. You're on, right on track. He died on a cross, right? Okay. Hmm. Well, why not have a manger? That's what he was born in. That's important too. Yeah. That would be boring. That would be boring. <laughs> It's just a golden tea. Like, why are we... That's kind of boring. I don't know. Yes, Jack. Um, I have a question about Jesus. And, 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 with Jesus, and people don't know what the real Jesus looks like. They can just put a picture on it. They could put a picture on it. But we have a cross. Why the cross? Amanda. Mm-hmm. I have a question about the cross of death. Why is it gold instead of wood? Why is it gold instead of wood? Well, there's a few things. We have a cross because that's where we see God's and Jesus and the Holy Spirit. That's where we see the Trinity. The biggest part of what God does embodied the most. Does anybody know what embodied means? It means actually physically done. Yes. It's also one of the most recognizable uh, uh, symbols in Christianity. It's recognizable. Very good. But it's recognizable because we focus on it so much. Everybody look at my nose. Right here. Right here. On the cross, God gave God's self to us. God moved toward us. Do you know how God got on the cross? Do you know how Jesus got on the cross? Yes. You probably just climbed up there, climbed, climbed, climbed. Nope. Not at all. Yes. Mm hmm. Humanity was very bad towards Jesus. So much so that they tried to kill him and succeeded. Is this bad? Yes, that's bad. So, on the cross, God could have said, you know what? I'm God. You didn't do very well towards my son. I'm going to just scorch the whole earth. We're going to start it over like Play-Doh. I'm going to smash it. And then we're going to start all over. Did God do that? No. What did God do? Yes. He let Jesus on the cross. Jesus died. But did Jesus, did Jesus stay dead? No. no. Three days later, what happens? He rose. He rose. And... What did Jesus do? Did Jesus come back to life and say, all right, I'm going to roll up my sleeves, I'm going to clench my fists, I'm going to start punching whoever put me on the cross. Is that what Jesus did? No. No. What did Jesus do? Yeah. Um, he... Um, um, he 
he's just stayed there. Nah, kind of. He actually went out. Yeah. And he went to the people that completely abandoned him, his friends, his disciples, and he said, peace. He said, don't worry. He said, it's okay. I'm with you. God still loved us, even when we were not that good. Now, there's a couple things I want to talk about. We have a cross because that's what we are all about. God loves us first, and then we are in turn to love others the same way. That's the central message. Why is the cross gold? Anybody got an idea? Yeah? You don't know why? No, I didn't pick it out. No, it's been here for a while. What is gold inexpensive or expensive? Really expensive. We made it gold because just like a lot of things in here, things that we think are important, we make really expensive. We are sitting on a small fortune in this room. Do you think that's a good use of what we do? it's for a good reason, maybe. Um, um, maybe the cross is a symbol of Jesus? Maybe the cross, it, that's exactly why. I think it was made gold for the best of intentions. I think it was made gold because we think it is special, it is central, and those things that are special and central, we usually try to make as nice as it can possibly be, and a gold cross is nice. But... It's not the only way to make something central. It's not the only way to make something important. I have a question. So everybody right here one more time. We tried our best to show that the cross is important by making it gold. That might not be always the way that we make things important, but that's how we did it once. It was people's best try. Sometimes our best tries are good, sometimes they're bad, and sometimes they're both. That is my understanding of why we have a cross, a gold cross, way up on top. Um, now, it sounds like we're full of questions. Um, so, next week, write down all your questions on paper, okay? You can put them in the hat, and on two more weeks, we're going to talk about your questions. Anything you want, anything in this room, anything about Jesus, anything. Um, why do we only pick one question? Because I made the rules of the game. That one's easy. Write it on a piece of paper, and we'll see if we pick it out next week. Sound good? All right, we're going to say a prayer. There we go. God, we give you thanks. We give you thanks for questions. We give you thanks for curiosity. We give you thanks for wondering about everything that surrounds us because in that, we come to know a little bit more about you. Thank you for moving towards us. Thank you for loving us, even on a cross. And thank you for giving us the cross to remember you in, to remember how you love us so very deeply and dearly that even when you come back to life, even when you're raised again, you still love us. You still are with us. You still say peace and everything's okay. Give peace to everybody here. 
Help us to know that things are okay. And in our lives, may we see you every day. In your name we pray. Amen. of Jesus. Amen. Like most children's sermons, the next one doesn't get less convoluted. The 17th chapter of Luke, which is where the text starts today, is a chapter at its core on faith. There's three basic chunks. The first two was the one last week and the one this week. The last one is one that the lectionary, our rotation of text, is all too eager to leave out. But we're going to review quickly all three chunks, okay? This whole thing started when Jesus was teaching his disciples, right? And Jesus is teaching his disciples, and he says, it's better, instead of causing anyone to stumble, anyone to fall in terms of faith, in terms of life, in terms of belief. It's better for a great millstone to be hung around your neck and you'd be tossed into the sea. If anyone wrongs you seven times and seven times in that day, that same person comes back to you and asks for forgiveness asks and says repentance, you should forgive them. And the disciples actually the apostles in this story, they panic, right? And they say, Lord, increase our faith. And then we get the first story, right? We get the first story about the master and the slave, and the slave goes out into the field and works all day and comes in, and Jesus says, how many of you would rather that the slave, would say to the slave, sit down, I'll make you something to eat, you've worked a lot. Rather, wouldn't you say to the slave, hey, it's your job, make me something to eat, afterwards you can feed yourself. Last week we talked about how both these things happen and that the issue, while slavery we know is unjust, is not actually about slavery. And every one of these stories we can become distracted in. The issue is not about slavery. The issue is about what's expected and what's grace. And both happen to us. We are expected to give forgiveness. And every time we're expected to give forgiveness, we are just like the disciples and we say, Lord, increase our strength. We can't possibly do this. You can't possibly be me. Especially in the times when forgiveness is very, very poignant. And the sin is too. And Jesus looks at us and says two things. One, from the view of the cross, there's always grace with you. Whether you're good at this or not, whether you do this or not, there's always grace with you. There's always love for you. There's always mercy for you. And two, I gave you faith. Now use it. It is both. Faith, at the core of this first story, is about it's already there and it's yours to use. This is troublesome in a Lutheran perspective, I know. Okay. This second story is the one that we see here today. Ten lepers in an area between Galilee and Samaria. Ten lepers come up to Jesus, keeping a distance, say, Lord, help us. Jesus hears their 
cries, says, go to the chief priest. Doesn't really say what to do. Just present yourself to the chief priest. All along the way, they are cleansed. One sees that he's healed, turned back. He happens to be a Samaritan. Usually, Samaritans in the story mean something, and so flags go up. He turns back. He returns to Jesus, falls prostrate on the ground, which is spray eagle face down in the dirt, saying, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. And Jesus says, weren't ten healed? Where's the other nine? Why is the foreigner, why is the Samaritan the only one that returned? And again, in the 17th chapter of Luke, we have an issue. Why is faith, why is faithfulness only seen in the person who wasn't like the rest of the group that Jesus was talking to? How's come faith is only seen in the person who wasn't the same denomination, who wasn't the same religion, who wasn't the same anything that these people were? How's come faith was seen outside the holy people, was seen outside the chief priests, was seen outside Jerusalem, was seen outside Jesus' presence? How's come faith, how's come the holiness was somewhere else? The first lesson we hear that there is grace, there is mercy, it's for you. There is faith, it's already yours, now go use it. The second lesson we hear that faith is also outside of you. In places you don't anticipate, in places you don't expect, in places where you would not associate God being. Somewhere along the road. Here's the difficult one. The third one, which the lectionary is just so eager to skip over, heightens the issue of faith once again. If first the issue of faith is in everyday forgiveness, and second the issue of faith is in miraculous healings, third the issue of faith is what happens in judgment. This is where we get that famous story where two are working in a field, one's taken and one's left. This is where we get the famous story where two are lying in a bed, one's taken and one's left. This is where we get the story where two are grinding at a millstone and one's taken and one's left. Now, if you're like me, all of a sudden you get real uneasy and have flashbacks of reading the Left Behind series, right? But that's not what the text is about, and that's hard to say because that's what we're programmed to believe. The disciples ask a specific question. And it's not a question of, Lord, why is one taken and one's left? Lord, why is someone else going and not me? Lord, why am I going and not them? Lord, what's happening in this judgment? None of that is asked. The disciples ask one question, and it is, where, Lord? They ask where. As in, where are they going? And just to make matters worse for us, Jesus answers. Wherever the corpse is, there the vultures are. Isn't that a pretty picture to end the chapter of faith on? Wherever the corpse is, there the vultures are. We started off with forgiveness. We started off with being scared about that daily interaction. And Jesus said grace, and Jesus said mercy, and Jesus said work. We heard about an amazing wellness found outside the places that we would normally see it. And Jesus said, this is where faith is too. 
This is where the gospel is too. This is where hope is too. Then we heard about the last judgment. And instead of saying, this is how I judge, and this is my curriculum, and this is my rubric on which you will be graded, Jesus simply says, where the corpse is, there the vultures are. Now, sometimes we have a bad understanding of vultures. You guys know that I've uh, run a few races, and in 5Ks, I used to have a friend that I warm up with every time. And in Ohio, at least the places where I would do a lot of these 5Ks, there was just no tree cover. A lot of it had been cleared out for the farms and whatnot at the time of, uh, you know, kind of expanding the Northwest Territory and whatever. And, and there was no tree cover in some of these places. And so in September races, there would just be... 95, 98, 99 degrees, and you're running back and forth these country roads and just steaming with no end in sight. Periodically, I would look at my friend as we were warming up or even running together, and I'd whisper, I just don't feel this today. And then he would inevitably point upwards, and there'd be buzzards circling around. <laughs> and he'd, he'd whisper back, I think they heard you. <laughs> Thank you. Now, there were no actual bodies in most races lying on the ground for the buzzards to get at. He was just kidding. But what's always amazed me about buzzards, turkey vultures, whatever you want to call them, what's always amazed me about that animal is that in groups, whenever they see something, they gather. Right? When I was in the field... I used to look in the sky. I mean, there's really nothing else to look at. I used to look at the sky and, and see as I was plowing different groups of vultures. And so I'd wait until my rounds took me that way. And sometimes it'd be something really cool. Sometimes they'd find some baby deer lying in a, a grassy place or something. And, and wow, that's kind of neat. They were just kind of circling around that. Sometimes they would just find where the wind is, the updrafts. And they'd cruise on those and they'd circle around each other for a while. Sometimes they'd find what you expect to find, a carcass. It was kind of gross. But what's amazing about that animal is that they gather around something that the group needs to inspect. Jesus is trying to tell us something about faith with this little one-liner at the end. And we see it in every case. Where we gather... And it's hard being called a turkey vulture, I know. But where we gather, we can find signs of Christ. We can find signs of faith. There is an obvious corpse that we talked about. There is an obvious dead person, dead body, lying on a cross that we talked about earlier. We gather around the cross. And it's not because it's a great sign of life. It's because it's a great sign of death. We don't jump to Easter morning. We don't gather around an empty tomb. We don't gather around a manger. We don't gather around a sudden healing. We gather around a cross. Because where a life is given, there we flock. Where life is given... There we are. When we gather around the table, it's not Jesus miraculously risen for you. We don't gather around a pocket of yeast. We gather around break bread and broken. Baked bread and broken for us. We gather around where life is given to us. And that life is given to us in the breaking of Christ's body. In the pouring of Christ's blood. 
and Christ moving towards us every time. We gather around a font where we are made clean first, but we are also made well. And the promises that over and over and over again are made to us. That every time we see water come out of this, every time we see a sprinkle on somebody else's head, every time water hits us in so many gray, dreary days lately, we understand that Christ's promises are poured on us abundantly and on all creation saying peace and love first. Wherever we gather here in a Sunday service, we first forgive one another by the blessing and by the command and by the authority of Christ, we forgive one another. From a body to cleansing to forgiveness, this is where the buzzards circle. This is where we see signs of faith. And the least likely of places and the most likely of places and everywhere in between. Last week, I had to give an impromptu definition of faith. I think it's where we find life given in the 17th, 17th chapter of Luke. When asked, what is faith? I usually say it's belief tied to our whole life experience. What the Bible would typically phrase as our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Belief and our heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's faith. Belief is pretty easy to describe, believe it or not. It's less easy to define, but it's easy to describe. How many of us have been the parent or have been the adult in a room with a child that simply wanted to play and you're doing work? The child comes up to you and says, hey, can we play? No, right now I'm doing work. Hey, can we play? No, not right now I'm doing work. Hey, can we play? And you spend the whole afternoon doing that, right? Eventually, the child comes up, hey, can we play? And you say, five minutes. Give me five minutes. And after five minutes, we're going to go and we're going to play. And what does the child do? Starts counting. <laughs> Counts down, runs out of the room, gets the Legos ready, gets the train set ready, gets the ping pong table ready. It doesn't matter what it is. Immediately, that child knows that this is going to happen. Immediately. That is belief. Because of what's been done for that child up to this point, because of the relationship that you have with that child already, you don't need to convince the child that you mean what you say. That's belief. The child didn't choose this belief. The child didn't ascend to this belief. The child simply believes because that belief was given to him in the relationship that you pour out. We believe because the relationship that God pours out. Belief. Faith is belief tied to our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Faith is belief tied to what we do with every aspect of who we are. Faith is belief embodied. So when our, our belief, when our understanding of who God is, when our understanding of what God promises us causes us to do anything, 
causes us to pray internally, causes us to think and meditate on God, causes us to be good to our children and to our family, causes us to be good to our neighbors, causes us to be good to our congregation, causes us to gather and then be sent out whenever our faith, our belief does anything. We see that as faith. Whenever our belief causes us to forgive seven times in a day, we see faith. Whenever our belief causes us to understand that God can be active out there somewhere else besides where the holy things are, that's faith. Wherever our belief, and this is the tough one, tells us not to be worried about the rapture, not to be worried about the judgment, but to ultimately ask, Lord, What's going on, and where are people going? And when Christ's answer is, I'll be there, belief says that that's satisfactory. Belief says that in five minutes, we'll be okay. People of God, God has stepped down from heaven and said in five minutes, if not already, I'm going to be with you. Not one day someday, not in some future judgment, but in five minutes I'm going to send my Holy Spirit and we're going to get to work. Go running. Go running. Go set up the ping pong table. Go to set up your lives. Do whatever you have to. Because in five minutes, we're going to be there. If not already now. Thanks be to God for faith in the least likely and most likely of places. Thanks be to God for belief. Let's go out. Amen.